Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome to the Full Slate Sunday Scaries podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm your co-host, Cody Darwick, joined by my brother out in Chicago, Tyler Darwick. Tyler, we had some sports this weekend. Yeah, got the NFL draft going, which was great. The ratings were all time for them, which makes sense, right? Everyone was watching without anything else going on. And what I really noticed, which we kind of knew, but this only gave further validation, Roger Goodell is like one of the most awkward people to hold such a high position I've ever seen. Yeah, it is crazy because you think about it, to get to the head of the NFL, you have to think think how many people love sports, how many people want to work in sports, how many people want to work in the NFL, let alone once you get in, right, you have to maneuver your way to the top. And the commissioner is the CEO, essentially, of the business. Uh, A tough watch. He tried to have fun. He tried to sit in his lounge chair. Uh, he had a mid mid first round wardrobe change from the suit to the to the sweater vest. Um, 
it was weirdly more entertaining though because it was so weird. Yeah, whenever he would turn around to the group of fans, he'd be like, <laughs> "Come on, come on, Cincinnati!" Yeah. And then the, the, mo- the most awkward one the, was the uh, Vikings one. Yeah, Jesus. with the skull, the yeah. skull flap. I mean, th- those those <clears throat> those fan reactions had to be recorded because I feel like if it was a live video chat with Roger Goodell and you're on, you know, the background of ESPN, I feel like we would have seen some absurd things. So I feel like it was a little fake, but it was so funny just seeing how weird he was. And I don't know if he was drinking, but, you know, obviously the Raiders were supposed to host the draft this year. And he's like, and, you know, we were supposed to be in Las Vegas. And as a result of that, we'll be doing the 2020 draft in Las Vegas. And I was like, what is he talking about this, this year? He meant 2022. But it was, you know, you have to give credit to all the people at ESPN and all the IT people because there really were no, like, major glitches. No, it was impressive. Like, there was one or two times where they kicked it to someone and maybe the audio was off or whatever it was. But, like, Trey Wingo, give that man credit. He was he was the host. I watch most. I watched the full first round a little bit on Friday, but then not much Saturday. But he did a really good job of kicking it to these different guys. And at least for the first round, he had, what, there was like seven different people, uh, obviously all remote. And it was pretty seamless. Uh, so I was I was impressed by that. I also really enjoyed being able to see all the coaches and GMs, whatever their respective setups were. Uh, the most notable, the two most notable ones in my mind were one Cliff Kingsbury because they they kick it to him. I'm like, oh my god, that's like a Vinny Chase has from Entourage. Uh, the I mean, he had this like crazy like it was almost like an astroturf backyard. There's a fire pit. The mountains were in the backyard. He's the all glass uh, in his living room. I was like. You, like, you were the coach for what? They won five games last year? Um, so well, he was, props looked, to Cliff Kingsbury for being able to buy that house. I looked it up. He made he made a lot of money at Texas Tech. He, he's just like a Hollywood actor who happens to be an NFL coach. The guy's house was unreal. Jerry Jones doing it on a $250 million yacht is, was pretty baller. It was so funny also seeing Belichick set up, which was so classic, just like a normal-looking kitchen table with two laptops and then the picture of them making a pick or a trade or something, and his dog was sitting uh, at the mm-hmm. chair. was hilarious. The one thing I really didn't like about the draft, every guy who got drafted, they just had to make a point about something super depressing that happened in their life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah... You know, it's good to know about these guys, but also, like, with everything going on, do we really need to know about a family member who passed away or something like that? Is like, every pick was like that. Yeah, it is funny. Because I, I picked up on that. I was like, everything was grouped into one of two things. It was either something tragic, they've overcome something, whether it's a death in the family, uh, the guy the 49ers picked, Javon Kinlaw, was homeless uh, at points during his childhood, or someone in the family was a former NFL player or professional athlete. Like There really was no in-between and a lot of memes going around the internet uh, after about that, but I, I think all in all, I'll give the NFL a lot of credit. Like you said, it was very entertaining. Um, the first round, a couple of big surprises. Um, we can go a lot of ways here. I think the the funniest part to me was uh, the Packers drafting Jordan Love. Um, 
just given Aaron Rodgers and how spiteful he is and the way everything ended with McCarthy um, and and to have the relationship he had uh, this year with, with that coach and, and the, they're the two seed, etc., and make it to NFC Championship game. There's just no world in which Aaron Rodgers saw that pick and is just like, what, like, what the fuck? What are we doing here? The whole thing really made no sense because in a draft that was so receiver heavy, so deep, that had so much talent, that was the Packers' biggest need. And instead of going after a receiver to help, you know, they have Aaron Rodgers, an aging quarterback. People could make the comparison when, you know, they drafted him with Favre. But his team just went to the NFC Championship game. You'd think they gave Rodgers a huge contract. They don't really have a lot of wiggle room out of. And if you're drafting a rookie quarterback, by the time Rodgers realistically is retiring, Jordan Love, if he turns out to be any good and they want to give him an extension, he's only going to have like one or two years on his rookie deal before they have to pay him. So you can't even build the team around him like we've seen, you know, the Rams did with Goff before they paid him, Carson Wentz on the Eagles, um, Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. Like they're not going to have that flexibility with his rookie contract because they're stuck paying Aaron Rodgers a ton of money. They didn't draft a receiver. Their second round pick. Uh, A.J. Dillon, this running back from Boston College, who looks like he's pretty good, but he's not even going to be the starter. So your first two your first two picks, you get zero starters. And Jordan Love is just a huge question mark. When Rodgers was coming out, everyone thought he was going to be the number one pick, and he just fell. Um, Jordan Love threw the most interceptions in college football last year. In the Mountain West specifically, he was fifth in completion percentage, fifth in passing efficiency. He's like, <laughs> the, guy, the guy's a ton of question marks, so you don't even know if he's going to work out. So for a team to be one game away from the Super Bowl last year that had a couple glaring spots not to address them it makes no sense. Yeah, and I think he's getting Jordan loves getting some comparisons to Patrick Mahomes kind of a gunslinger mentality. I'll be honest, I've never seen Jordan Love play football before. But the thing is, Patrick Mahomes is one of a kind, one like oh we can sit him and let him watch and then he can play. The the two main examples of this, like you said, Rodgers, he's behind Favre. He waited three years. I believe it was three years. That's longer than most of these guys do. Mahomes sat one year behind Alex Smith, but that's totally different. As much as we love Alex Smith, those are solid playoff teams, uh, but Alex Smith wasn't exactly lighting it up uh, for them. Aaron Rodgers is still a top-five quarterback in the NFL, so it's it's a very bold move on their end, and just given the way Rodgers is. Jalen Hurts to the Eagles uh, was another interesting one uh, in the second round. I think everyone at this point is just trying to find someone that could be like Taysom Hill. So I saw that argument, and if sure, if he turns into that, great. But like the Saints haven't won anything with Taysom Hill coming in and stealing these snaps. So like... I don't know. Let's see. Let's see how much value that actually has when a team can go to the Super Bowl and prove that you can kind of yeah take out your best quarterback for 15 snaps a game. That pick made absolutely no sense to me. If he if he's going to be like Taysom Hill, okay, but that's not a guy like he shouldn't be in the second round. And it's a big if if he can even become a Taysom Hill that we've never seen a player like him before. So to take that guy in the second round when you've committed a lot of money to Carson Wentz and he is injury prone. But I feel like you could have waited till the fourth round to get, you know, an Eason. I don't even think Jalen Hurts would have went. As we saw, it was him in the second round. No quarterbacks were taken until the fourth round. So you could have waited. Um, it, the move made no sense. I mean, you don't do that when you have a franchise guy in Wentz who you're paying a lot of money and is young. Like, it, it, that 
pick made no sense to me. I think a lot of these teams overthink their picks. Like this guy Isaiah Simmons that ended up going to the Cardinals. Leading up to the draft, everyone was saying this was like maybe the best all-around player on the defensive side of the ball. And the Panthers took a D-tackle at 7, and their reasoning just makes absolutely no sense. They said the Panthers liked Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons a lot at number 7, and he was the best pure athlete on the board. But they felt like he was a better fit for a veteran team because of his ability to play so many positions. So they took the guy from Auburn. Like, that makes absolutely no sense. The guy is versatile, can play any position. And he ran, what, like a 4-3-40? Yeah, and he played at Clemson, played in the biggest games his whole college career. Like, I think teams just overthink what they're trying to do. It's like, we have this guy who could play multiple positions on defense. Oh, but we don't have a good team, so we're not going to take him. Like, this guy makes your team better. And Carolina took all defensive players, so you would have thought this guy would have fit in perfectly. So I think teams just overthink it. And honestly, not having all these in-person workouts and stuff like that, I feel like might end up benefiting them because I think teams get so hung up on that. It's like, just watch how these guys play. That's usually a better barometer. Yeah, that guy is going to be a beast. I, I'm just watching his highlight tapes. It's like four three forty. He's he's big. He's versatile. He can play any position. Not thrilled about having him in the NFC West now uh, with the Cardinals. A couple other notable moves. Um, Tyler, well, there's one 49ers move. Let's let's get to that. We talk about the Niners a lot here, but Joe Staley retires, which end of an era for us. Uh, he was drafted the same year as Patrick Willis as a first-round pick back in 07, I believe, uh, the 28th overall pick there. He's kind of been through the ringer, the really bad teams early. Then Harbaugh came in, the three really awesome years, and then more crap football, and then this year, obviously, you get so close, and he kind of has a heartbreaking quote after the 49ers lose. Um, but he retires, and the 49ers scoop up Trent Williams, who, I mean, he'd been on the block for a year plus. He didn't play at all last year, but an all-pro tackle. They trade a fifth this year and a third next year for him. This feels like highway robbery as long as Trent Williams still knows how to play football. Yeah, because the rumors were teams are going to have to give up a first-round pick for him. Cleveland's, uh, you know, that was the offer they are getting. So to only give up a fifth and a third for a guy who has been a pro bowler, all pro. Uh, I saw PFF tweeted since, I think, like 2011. The best left tackle in football was Joe Staley and Trent Williams with his fourth. So not really downgrading there. It sucks Staley retires. Um, like you said, such a staple in the way he went out is miserable, and reading his quote yesterday from after the Super Bowl just really got me in a tailspin. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good move to basically replace one All Pro with another. Basically, the 49ers kept their same team from last year. You subtract the Forrest Buckner, Sanders, and Staley, and they added Kinlaw, uh, the receiver Ayuk, and Trent Williams. Are those guys going to be as good? I don't know, but. For I think a lot of teams, it is going to be super important this year, especially for that continuity, because who knows what the offseason is going to look like. So being able to bring back so many of your starters and only to plug and play a couple of them, and especially since Trent Williams has played in Kyle Shanahan's offense before, so mm-hmm. should be pretty seamless for him. Yeah, yeah, that's a big piece of it as well. I think that he should just be able to pick up and run with it, hopefully, uh, from day one. And the other big piece of news that came out today, our boy Jameis, sadly, it's looking like he's he's locked in to be a backup for at least one year here. He signed with the New Orleans Saints, who also uh, re-signed Taysom Hill. 
Um, this this is tough. It's still it's still very weird to me. You just kind of look at the landscape of the NFL starting quarterback position. The Pats seem to just be content riding out Stidham and Hoyer. Are they tanking? Do they think Stidham's the truth? Uh, I mean, they're going to find out this year. Jacksonville just settling on Gardner Minshew. I don't I don't know. It seemed like Jameis could have been a good fit there, but I actually think this is a good move for Jameis Tyler to go learn from Drew Brees and Sean Payton for a year and and kind of go from there. I think he's remarketing himself here with uh, post LASIK now being in that quarterback room. I think I think it's a good move for Jameis business wise. Mm-hmm. Look what happened with Teddy Bridgewater, right? He was coming off those injuries. His future is uncertain. Went to the Saints for a couple of years, ended up playing with Breeze getting hurt and played well enough to get a big contract. So I hope the same happens with Jameis. Drew Breeze is getting up there in age, so him getting an injury or missing a few games isn't like out of the realm of possibility. So hopefully he's able to, you know, take a year off as a starter, learn from those two guys, and then, you know, get his payday that he deserves. And in New Orleans, he's going to love all the seafood there, all the uh, crabs and yeah. jambalaya. It's it's going to be it's gonna be a treat. All the Cajun food. I did see this uh, stat on Twitter that I want to read. Uh, so per ESPN Stats and Info, if Drew Brees throws an interception on his next 118 passes, he will still have a lower career interception percentage than Jameis Winston does currently. That's that's tough for Jameis. We'll tuck that one away and delete it for a year. So in, in the rebrand come 2021, 2022, Jameis, no, nobody will see that. Well, I saw another stat. He's thrown ten. Pa- he completed interceptions. Ten passes to Saints defenders or Saints players. Uh, Taysom Hill's completed to seven different Saints players. So, you know, Jameis. Jameis just has those stats. He obviously had the famous uh, EW moment in New Orleans. I feel like that was kind of his downfall. Um, but yeah, some some other. Notable moments, I guess, from the draft. Uh, Henry Ruggs, the first receiver off the board to the Raiders. He was wearing a bathrobe, which was awesome. So I feel like he's made for Vegas. Uh, De- I'm telling you now, Denver is going to be the very trendy playoff team that gets a lot of hype going into next season. They took Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler from Penn State. And you look at um, their team from last year, they won seven games and they lost a few like really brutal games they probably should have won. So I feel like that's going to be, be the team that gets a lot of hype, especially with the added playoff team in the AFC, that's going to be a team that is going to get a lot of wild card hype. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. It was just nice having football back. I can tell you one thing. I I need to hop on the Rams under, their wins under. They, they have, like, no draft capital. I just don't see that team getting any better uh, with another year of golf and with Gurley gone and, Everything that they've done, uh, bringing Jalen Ramsey is like a nice piece, but it seems like they may have overpaid for him. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, it just it was nice having football back for a weekend, say that much. Um, but Tyler, we have a great interview here lined up with Brian Yale. He's the founder of Rival.ai. This was our first foray into esports. And Tyler, I think we both we both learned a lot from this interview. It's really interesting stuff outside of um what what i think we knew yeah it's was, it was like taking an online class and a quick you know summary learning all about esports so it was super interesting learning from brian and something you know the sports shutdown we'll have to uh, start to get into
Exactly. So enjoy the interview uh, with Brian, and we will be back next week. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, sells hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open, 24 hours a day, and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Okay, and Tyler and I are very excited to welcome on our first ever esports guest, Brian Yale, CEO and co-founder of Rival.ai. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing awesome. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be on here and talking esports finally to uh to the masses. Great, That's great. Wow, that was thank you. That's a compliment to us. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our our podcast, the masses. But we'll take it. We'll take it and run with it. Um, Absolutely. So, so Brian, we uh, Tyler and I sports gambling podcast. Esports has come a little more into the light, especially recently, given everything with COVID nineteen. But would love to get a little background on yourself and and really uh, how you got started in this world. Started in the world? Wow, that goes way back. So about seventy years ago. No, um, really, from from the esports perspective, um, I didn't really realize how far back it went until there was. When I was working for Infinite Esports, there was a ESPN article. They were looking for people that were at uh, the very first North American LAN event, which was called FragFest, which was in Dallas. And I was there. I was actually there. They had pictures of it. And um, did that article and realized how old I actually was. And so, yeah, my, my esports gaming journey goes back to 97. And um, early 2000s, I had uh, was managing a couple of different LAN centers. Um, I had a pro quote-unquote pro uh, Counter-Strike team back then in uh, the CPL in Cali. And um, really after a couple of years, realized the U.S. really wasn't ready for the esports scene. Definitely was, was growing in Europe. I remember SK Gaming brought their CSGO team over for a big tournament once, and it was just they played the, they paid those guys like 40 grand a year, and we were in awe. And um, stepped away from the scene, did cybersecurity for about 10 years, and then um, got introduced to... Uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Cheney and came pretty good friends, really good friends. And together was a founding member with him and a couple other guys of Infinite Esports, where we, you know, acquired Optic Gaming, a couple other teams, and um, was a wild ride for a year. It was, it was a great time. Um, I under that umbrella, I was I'm also the founder and president of uh, GGEA, which is GG Esports Academy. And uh, was a co-founder of Engage, which was the events and production company. And uh, at the end of, towards that year, became the head of analytics for Infinite before, uh, you know, the the sale went through. And just before that, we all kind of, you know, parted ways with uh, during that sale process. And really at that time focused on esports gambling and in and, and the analytical space. I mean, there was such a massive disparity in in the the numbers that were being presented and the lines that were being presented it was just it was easy pickings and um, during that time frame uh, was a mentor of a company that uh, called Rival AI and after a couple months was asked to join uh, Rival and as a co-founder and he kind of took off from there so that's what I've been doing the last uh, almost year and a half now so 
So, yeah. So for your company, Rival AI, you provide data and analytics to you know teams in these uh, professional esports leagues. So, for example, you mentioned Counter Strike. What kind mm-hmm. of statistics or metrics is a team looking for when you're providing that? Or just give us an example for the listeners. Sure. You know, one of the things that makes Rival unique is the fact that um, we don't need to tie in the API. It's all done through OCR. So we can actually take a game and take the stream and pull the data directly from the stream. And so it takes us away from needing to tie into the APIs. Now, with games like Counter-Strike, um, the, the developer is very friendly and the API is out there and the information is out there. So it's, it's pretty good to work with them. But other games like League of Legends and uh, Dota 2, um, Overwatch, they kind of guard those APIs uh, more closely. And so be able to pull and not be tied to them is, is kind of our advantage. But what you're really looking for, I mean, I wish I could say um, we go after, you know, you know, the secret sauce and there's a lot of secret numbers in there. And there are, but to be honest, right now, it's just about getting basic stats out there. We're at the point, we're not talking about money ball, we're just talking about basic stats. Um, okay. There's there's just a, a very... Um, I wouldn't say it's an immaturity in the market, but it is. Um, Counter-Strike is probably the more mature when it comes to the betting because that's kind of they, – they embraced it very early on. And over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, that's kind of been the bed and, you know, the bread and butter. And um, you can see it. I mean, you look – go to their website. Go to – you know, I'm always on HLTV, um, one of the major stat pages out there. And it's it's all about – it's all around betting. I mean, everything is – you know, the schedule's up there. They have all the lines. They have all the lines, all the different sites you can go to. And so the game has really embraced that that better market. But with Rival, uh, going through, building out, you know, second-by-second second, uh, metrics that you can sort, um, it really gives us the, the ability to have those situational awarenesses where based on where it is in a round, um, the likelihood a team's going to have, you know, you know, win that round or come, you know, win the overall map. Um, I can go into way more detail. It just this is where it gets kind of uh, goes into the weeds, and so it's it, it's it's simple to get into, but it's very complex, and it's really easy to to dig deeper once you get into it. Okay, that's that's helpful context. I have a couple questions for you. So sure. one, you mentioned the team. So what's like a standard team size? And in say like basketball, for instance, right? You have the guards, you have the forwards, you have a center, and sure. everyone's kind of playing their own part. Or baseball, whatever the sport may be. Mm-hmm. In in East sports, is everyone kind of the same player? Or do people uh, take on Absolutely like a position for, no, for it's, lack? It's, yeah, it's, it's extremely extremely position based. Okay, Sorry, so let's uh, let's hear about that because I think. Yeah. I think most of our listeners probably aren't aren't too familiar with that. Yeah, so there's, you know, on the outside, you just think it's a bunch of guys playing video games in their basement, and that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, uh, each position, uh, like in Counter-Strike, it's 5v5, and um, there are, you know, in-game leaders. There could be one or two in-game leaders, shot callers. Um, there are entry fraggers, the guys that go in and scout, and guys are really good at, Going into a um, an unknown, really fast uh, twitch responses um, to get a first kill upon entry, and then you have uh, you know the oppers, the guys that um, are, are the so you know kind of the uh, superstars. They're like the long ball hitters in baseball. Um, everyone loves uh, uh, you know the oppers because they just make crazy shots. But everybody has a different skill set. I mean, it's it's much more evolved and it's much more um, in depth than 
people believe on the outside because it's not. It is a video game, but you know, I was talking to um, an M- a guy with the MLB the other day, and as I explained to him, is like the way you describe sports, and it's you know, all sports is a mental competition that's played out physically, right? And esports is very similar. It's a mental competition that's played out physically. Now, in this case, physically is through mouse and keyboard. It's twitch reactions. You're using a different skill set. But the core of it is very much the same. There's there's practices. There's um, there's scrims. Everyone has a playbook. You have set plays, uh, positional players. You have backup benches. Um, you have you know coaches that go through the whole thing. And at the pro level, you have multiple coaches. When I was with Infinite, all you know we had um, guys that used to be with the 49ers. Um, their weight, you know, mm-hmm. the fitness staff of the 49ers were training our guys with physical fitness. Um, we had meal plans. We had, uh, yeah, everyone was required to, you know, go through the meal plan to be, to go through the exercises, to go through the training things. And this, you know, perception that esports guys are fat and out of shape is just wrong. I mean, these guys are, uh, depends on the genre, especially in CSGO, they're very, you know, you will get your guys that, you know, could use the, the gym a little bit more, but for the most part, they're, you know, they know what you know. They have to be at peak, per, you know, performance. Not only with their physical responses, but their mental uh, response too. A lot of that has to do with diet and exercise. And so, um, everything you can correlate to traditional sport, you can correlate to esports. Wow, that's really interesting to know. And Cody and I are Forty Nine er fans ourselves, so that's oh. that's that's cool to know. How, <laughs> yeah. how do these? You mentioned teams, and they have coaches, and even the trainers, as you just went into. How do they come together? Are guys playing in some game online and they start talking and they become friendly? Like how do these teams assemble? It, it's a good question. It's one of the, the challenges uh, that we saw in the early days of esports and even now that kind of path to pro, like how do you become a pro player? And nowadays it's a little bit easier because of the funding. I mean, these pro teams, um, I, I'm sure you guys have seen it. The salaries on pro teams of starting guys, especially in CSGO, you're looking six figure a year salaries. Um, Wow. And that's yeah, that's not that's just for your salary. That's playing, and they get all their expenses paid for the most part. I mean, a lot of these guys live in game houses, so they don't pay for overhead. Um, all their meals are provided for them, uh, utilities provided for them. So the money they make is the money that goes into the bank. And if you manage it right, I mean, you're you're set for life. You could be if you manage your money correctly. Um, so it's, go ahead. That's that's great. So is there some kind of draft, or is it like no? I'm, I'm a six like. Say like Tyler and I now, say we were 16 or 17 years old and we were just like a prodigy at, say, League of Legends or CSGO. Could we just get scooped up by one of these teams or is there like you an age could. Is no, there an age requirement? There, there are age requirements based on the leagues. It depends on the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, when you come to the States, like Overwatch has, a, has an age requirement. Um, League of Legends has an age requirement for the U.S. Um, because they want to be uh, with the child labor laws and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff that... For the insurance purposes, they have to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can be a system at a very young age. Now, that doesn't that's not the same for all games. Um, Dota 2, for instance, uh, Sumail, when he started, I believe he was 13. Um, he came from, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think he came from Pakistan. Um, but what's, immediately what's he was... Dota 2? Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Dota 2 is just like League of Legends. It's like the counterpart to League of Legends. It's another MOBA. Um, it's a 5v5 game. Um, much like League of Legends is. Okay. Uh, it, it, Dota 2 is the one that runs the international every year, and the last year's international, I don't want to get the number wrong. I'll just pull it up real quick on Google. 
Uh, the top prize was because uh, it's it's the number one tournament in all of esports. It's the one that gets all the attention. Okay. Uh, uh, the this is good research on there. Yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> well, I, I want to do it justice, right? Uh, contribute is thirty-two million. Wow. The total prize wow. pool is thirty-four million. Yeah, for okay. last year. So, so yeah, that's keep going. for one tournament. That, that's for one tournament. So these guys for Dota two, um, they play probably more games than anybody. They play qualifiers all year long. Really, just to get to this one major event. It's kind of like the World Cup, but every year, and um. Wow. You know, first place walks away with twenty million for the team. So that's five guys split twenty million bucks. It, it's for real. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty nice payout. So when I was in college, um, a few of my friends would watch. They'd play League of Legends a lot, and they would watch. You know, these live streams of the games. And to be honest, we'd make fun of them a little bit. But sure. that was f- five years ago now, and we've seen how much it's grown. Like. How big are the biggest players in these esports leagues, and are they comparable to, you know, say like a Steph Curry of how popular he is in the NBA? Is like, are the best esports players that big? I know Ninja is big, but I don't know if he's too mainstream now. Could you, I guess, give us some perspective on that? Sure, (laughs) it's weird because like Ninja is a great gamer and he's a great entertainer, um, but I don't call him an esports professional because he doesn't play on a team. He 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 streams. He's a YouTuber and he streams on Mixer. I mean, I guess I mean, he's a Mixer guy now. But um, and so that's what the most popular is the streaming aspect and the entertainment aspect. Um, but the the biggest followers like uh, Faker, who plays in Korea for League of Legends, has a massive following. I mean, he he's a superstar in Korea. Um, in the states, um, you have guys that are really well known, but I wouldn't call them Steph Curry famous yet, right? Um, I do believe in the future you're going to get to that level, but right now just it, the saturation's not there. Um, but if you're a fan of the game, you absolutely have your favorite team and you have your favorite players. Uh, but for the, like notoriety, like you know, when you talk about Ninja and him streaming with Drake, that was a major moment in 2018, right? But mm-hmm. that's that's good for gaming, but it's not esports. Um, it's a small, di- you know, distinction, but I'll take all, all comers, right? I mean, for for the industry, it, you know, all news is good news. Mm-hmm. Right. So just he's just generally raising the profile, but he's not specifically like one of the like you wouldn't necessarily consider him a pro athlete. Um, okay, that makes sense. I found this stat pretty incredible just prepping for the pod. So last year, Nielsen ranked League of Legends Championship Series as mm-hmm. the third most popular pro sports league in the U.S. among 18 to 34-year-olds. Yep. Um, and just looking around globally, China is the biggest esport market in the world. Currently, the U.S. is at number six. Yep. Uh, in, in your opinion, Brian, what more does esports have to do to grow in the U.S.? Uh, time. I, you, know, you know, time, and they have to legalize gambling on esports in every state. I mean, the, the, the truth of it is, is that, you know, China, you know, the Chinese esports scene is dominated by gambling. Same thing in Korea. Uh, same thing with the Eastern Bloc in Europe. Um, they, it's, just, it, it's accepted, right? It's, just, it, it's allowed. Well, not really allowed in China, but they still do it anyways. Um, to, to be that big, I think you need to, to allow the, the – the, to be able to bet on the games. I mean, let, let's be honest. That's why sports was so big for so long. That's why March right. Madness is what it is. That's mm-hmm. why baseball is what it is. 
Now you're seeing a lot of fantasy leagues pop up. Um, I was doing some write-ups for some sites for fantasy for League of Legends just uh, last week, and, and you know because they have nothing else to write about. So I mean, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, just it takes time and it takes um, every state getting on board with with online uh, being able to bet online. I yeah, two major I, things. I have a, a quick follow up on that point. So last week, Nevada approved esports betting on CS:GO. Can- yep. Counter-Strike. Um, previously, like last year, I think New Jersey allowed it for the League of Legends championship. Um, do you do you think do you think it's going to be able to catch on in in the U.S.? I, the short answer is yes. Now I, I do have caveats, right? Like the mm-hmm. the question we I get a lot when I talk to a lot of the the books, a lot of the sites. Um, how do we present it to the public, right? Is it mm-hmm. is it a prop bet thing? Is it um, fantasy only? Is it um, how do you package it so the millennial, which wasn't a traditional sports follower, which wasn't a traditional sports better, um, and doesn't you know they're not in that mold of already understanding and, and kind of tied to the way things have always been done. How do you capture that market and how do you keep them coming back to you, right? Um, the the esports a uh, viewer um, and practitioner tends to be, you know, higher income. Um, they like the challenge. You know, let's be honest, their biggest muscle is probably their brain and they, they want to prove themselves that way. So there's a lot of thinking that goes into it. There's a lot of extremely sharp betters right now in esports, which is a good and a horrible thing. It's horrible because the books aren't very good right now. The lines aren't very good and they're getting killed. And so what you're seeing is a lot of extremely low limits if they're carrying it at all. Um, and that, that, that hurts the whole industry. And so really it's, there's a lot of pieces that have to go into play of making the lines better. So the books feel more confident about raising the limits, which allows more, you know, of the average, you know, better trader coming into play. The sharps are always going to be sharps, but you need to get that general populace evolved to really industry. Mm -hmm. And kind of building off of Cody's question. So obviously we're in this crazy unprecedented time with no, you know, NBA going on, no March Madness, yeah. no baseball. Last or two weeks ago on Fox Sports, E NASCAR aired and they had 903,000 viewers. Then last weekend they did it again and they had 1.3 million viewers. Like, yep. And we're seeing 2K tournaments being played, Madden simulations. I believe Bleacher Report's running a big tournament. Like, how big do you think getting that crowd from, you know, the traditional sports with, you know, 2K, Madden, bringing them over to esports with? Uh, you know, League of Legends, all these games. Like, do you see benefit of that? There, there's benefit, but I think that there's that is very short lived. I mean, when you think about it, pr- prior to let, let's go back six months, right? And I could tell you, you know, NBA was running their 2K league. Um, Rival did the stats for um, the Toronto Raptors, their uh, their NBA 2K team, and mm-hmm. I was talking to other. I won't name a specific teams. Just I won't throw them under the bus, but I talked to a lot of NBA um, front office that they were very unhappy with the NBA 2K League because it wasn't giving them what they wanted. It wasn't driving the millennial into the arenas. It wasn't driving the viewership to traditional NBA games. And now that the NBA games are gone, yeah, it's easy to transition to this, you know, faux basketball to watch because it kind of fills that space, that habitual thing we need to see. But I think it's that aspect of it's very short lived. I think that as yes, it's good to see those viewers come in and see that gaming is for real and esports is a thing, but 
getting them into Counter-Strike, Dota 2, League of Legends, um, Overwatch, and the Western side. Um, I think that's when we know we've won and it's really taken over because that's where the years of competition are already there. That's where a lot of the, you know, the franchise leagues are in these these games. Um, yes, NBA 2K has a franchise system. They have a partnership with the NBA, but the viewers just really aren't there. And when you compare it to the overall gaming uh, industry, um, I could be wrong, but like to me, I just don't see that being a long-term answer. I don't see that being a long-term flex. I think it's it's a good mm-hmm. bump and it's a good intro, but I don't see that's when when those viewers move over to these other games. That's when we know it's really taken over its mainstream spot. Yeah, I I agree with that take Brian I think like for what it's worth before this call as I was prepping I was talking to Tyler and like the Madden simulation I pulled it up on Twitch and I was streaming it to my TV for a couple minutes and I'm like this is kind of fun like I don't know it's it's entertaining Bleacher Report's doing a good job of covering it they're like live live tweeting all these games they have props but the moment for me as a big sports fan the moment real sports come back I'm going towards that so I do agree that it's like these kind of franchise names that are going to have to continue to drive it forward and and to that point so like for example what so uh, for a football game you have the game spread you have the money line you have the over under what are like the most popular esports bets right so like for instance CSGO what like uh, what are what are the most popular bets there Um, and just can you kind of talk to the different options Sure. With CS:GO, you're seeing a lot of different things, but you know, you know, of course, match wins. Um, it gets kind of confusing because sometimes a match is a best of one, sometimes it's a best of three, sometimes it's a best of five. Um, uh, it can get kind of confusing uh, because the same team will play in multiple leagues in the same day, and so they may be playing in different formats. Um, sometimes you know the maps ahead of time, so it makes the bet a lot easier to predict and not. But a lot of match stuff. There's a lot of um, over-under on kills, a lot of over-under on, I mean, there's prop bets around if someone's going to get a knife kill. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, every, props are basically on just about every other stat that you can have out there. Uh, how many rounds it's going to be? Um, are they going to win 2-0? Or are they going to win 2-1? You know, basically over-unders on how many maps it's going to take to win the match. Um, so you're seeing basic, you know, normal stuff you'd see. Um, the difference being that a lot of the matches in CSGO are best of threes, and so you get that you know, overall match play, so mm-hmm. kind of over under maps. Um, in League of Legends, you're seeing a lot of fantasy space stuff, so you're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, picking the best players, you're picking, you know, different lanes, different positions, and for those, you know, they have different, you know, dollar amounts, so you, you build a team just like you would for fantasy baseball or fantasy football, and then you uh, get points based on CS score, which is, you know, your creep score, how many creeps you kill, and your kills, deaths, and assists. And then you pick your team stats, which is based on towers and dragons and, you know, those sorts of things. So it's very basic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. That, But that's where it gets into you're seeing other groups coming in now doing a lot of prop bets, uh, doing a lot of um, parlays. You know, who's going to win, you know, this map and who's going to win this map and who's going to win this map. Um, yeah, I mean, you're kind of seeing all over the board, but for the most part, it's pretty basic stuff. Match wins, over-unders, um, basic lines. Uh, cool. I yeah, they a lot of the sites use the the European style, so it's a decimal system, mm-hmm. um, which I prefer. Honestly, I know it's it's almost blasphemy to say that to <laughs> American 
sports betters, but uh, you know, for it, makes, th- it makes more sense. It does. It, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you're being honest because yeah, it does. It makes yeah. way more sense. Yeah, yeah. As it as it pertains to the gambling aspect, there's been a lot of I guess controversy with match fixing. I'm reading an article uh, in 2016. Uh, Starcraft player was he was arrested, thrown in jail for 18 months, had to pay a huge fine, banned from the yep. South Korean esports league because he was fixing games and I guess getting payoffs like how big of an issue is that moving forward I think it's massive I think you know just more recently um in the LPL which is the um the Chinese league uh a guy in the Rogue Warriors the jungler was caught match fixing now he says he didn't do it but he originally agreed to to fix matches for him and not you know the the team itself knew for about a year so the team got hit with a four hundred thousand dollar fine um he got banned for two years um, I think what you're going to see is as the attention comes to it, I think you're going to see more of it until um, there's better guidance around it. Right now, it's kind of like the Wild West. There, I mean, there are groups that are looking out for it, but it's really – there's so many different leagues. There's so many different countries. I mean, who has jurisdiction, who doesn't? It really gets kind of kind of messy at the bottom at the – not at the top-tier stuff, but really in the Tier 2 stuff. And that's where you see a lot of your teams, a lot of the betting is on these tier two matches. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there, or, sorry, follow up. Is there like a governing body, a commissioner of these esports leagues? How does that work? I mean, there is on the franchise level, but on, it depends, right? So for Riot, for League of Legends, yeah, they have, you know, Riot runs their own commissioner and they have their own rule sets. They have their own referees. Um, they try to maintain control of that. Same thing for Overwatch. Um, you have oversight that's at the at the the league level. Um, there are groups trying to do oversight, kind of overall, but that's not formed yet. It really it's it's very um, it's getting better, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be. The games try to implement a lot of anti cheat, you know, programs into their systems, but again, it's a computer and people are smart, and so they're going to do everything they can to get around it. And that's not even outside of just throwing matches. You know, a lot of times you're dealing with young guys. You're dealing with, you know, kids from 17 to 25. And sometimes they make poor choices with their money and get caught in a bad spot. And all they have to do is not play well in a game. They'll easily, you know, how do you prove someone's not playing their best in in these games? And there's ways to do it with numbers. There's ways to do it with trends and tendencies. Um, and we're getting better at it. But, yeah, I'd be lying to you to say it's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like the, in, in terms of like having some kind of like general rulemaking and oversight to try and monitor those things would help in terms of the gambling aspect, I think, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so Tyler and I, we're, we're new to the esports scene here. So Brian, what's what's like the team we should get on board with if we're going to become like a bandwagon, uh, like hop on a team for <laughs> League of Legends here who... Who should be our choice? Uh, see, like if or CS:GO, which whichever one. Th- all right, there, there's there's a couple teams out there, but it, it depends on what what your interest is, right? So there's um, in League of Legends, you know, it's really hard to go against. Like if you're in Europe, you know, the G2s. I love G2. Um, they're they're kind of like the the Patriots. They're just really good. They yeah. win. You know, like. You hate them because they win so much, and you love them because they win so much. Um, Here's where I think the gambling aspect is so great in CSGO is that 
there are good teams, but there are bad matchups. And so on any given day, depends on what map, you know, selection is, the best team out there could lose. Mm. And, and that's what I love about the system. It's all about the matchups. It's about the maps. And it's about if they're playing online versus if they're playing offline or in a LAN, right? So if they're in a LAN, it's a different environment than if they're all playing in their, you know, their game house and they're playing online. It's a lot less stress. There's a lot less, you know, you know, distractions. But I think that there's, you know, the, the classic for the longest time was uh, MIBR, which is a Brazilian team. And the Brazilians love, they have a fanatical following for their teams especially in Counter-Strike. But this year, they just haven't lived up to expectations. And so it's almost like the changing of the guard from MIBR to, you know, who knows what's coming up next. Um, I follow, you know, one of my good friends uh, runs a team called Triumph. And, you know, his guys get paid next to nothing because they're a startup and, you know, they're just trying to make it. But they're in the top 30 in the world in CSGO. And that's massive. And they're they're primarily, I think they're all American players, which, again, is kind of unheard of. And so I root for those teams that are don't have the millions of dollars that these other organizations have, but have the guys and the skill sets to beat anybody. And I think that's the joy and that's what makes the, the gambling aspect so exciting because anybody could beat anybody. Okay. Yeah, that, so I think, Tyler, maybe we just found our uh, CSGO gambling angle, bet the underdogs, money line. Yeah, yeah, Always. That is, <laughs> yeah, okay. That's cool. You mentioned, you know, any given game, any given map, it could go either way. It's like the NFL, any given Sunday. So building off of Cody's question again, new people to esports, is there like an ESPN.com where we could read up on this? What's your go-to site for catching up on all of this? Good question. Sure. So I definitely, definitely if it's CSGO, um, go to hltv.org. I mean, these guys have been around forever. They've been the staple. They are, to me, I, they, kudos to them. I have no ties to them or anything. Uh, they they have a brilliant product because um, they have all the schedules for the next day. They have links to all the matches, all the streams. You click on it. You can go in and get the money lines. You can get, um, you know, fan vote on who do you think, you know, the populist vote's going to go for. Uh, I they build a really strong community. So again, hltv.org is great for CS:GO. League of Legends. There's a lot of different ones. Everyone has their flavor. Um, I like Game of Legends myself. Um, it's a it's a site that's based out of China, um, but just pure stats alone, it's one of the best sites out there when it comes to League of Legends. And that's gol.gg is the website for that. Okay. Um, yeah, those two like those are kind of the big ones that you know every day I'm on. I, I live my life in those two sites um, outside of our own rival system. Um, just for the, just uh, they have a lot of good chat in there. Um, yeah, it's a really good product. Both both those sites are ones I recommend to kind of dive in there um, and kind of get introduced to to the numbers and kind of what the scene looks like. But honestly, there's I think you know shows like yours um, and discussions like this are key to kind of opening that door to people that aren't used to the space on what to, you know, how to get into it. Um, I think there's a lot more uh, in-depth conversations can be had specifically to certain games and what to look for um, mm-hmm. as this develops. I think there's so much, there's so, so much depth to it that people just don't realize. And I think once they do, that's when they don't go back. Once you get in there, it's like quicksand. Once you get in you're you're not coming out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, now that we have a couple teams that we know we should follow, I think I think that's kind of the first our, our gateway drug here into this world. Um, I do I do have one uh, one more question before sure. we wrap up here, Brian. So you've been going to live events for a while now, and I see these pictures back in a pre-corona world of just packed stadiums and yeah. um, packed to the gills for these different events. What's that? What's the atmosphere like at these events? Right, you go to a, a big college sporting event. You have you have the cheers. You have the alma mater. You have the band. Uh, an NFL game. You kind of like you know you know what to expect there. I'm curious to know what's what's the atmosphere like at these live esports events. It, it's like um, it's, it compares on every level, but then more so. It, it is a it's very unique. I, I think, and I've been to all the major events. Um, I think the one that actually stands out the most is actually the Call of Duty scene before the the league started. So going back a couple of years, one of my favorite live experiences is going to like the CWLs, um, and just the passion, like you talked about, it, it's. It's next level. The roar of the crowd, the cheers, insane. It's on par with every um, sporting event. Very college-esque. If you had to compare the two, it's definitely more college, more soccer even. You know how fanatical the soccer fans are? Mm -hmm. That's very much much how esports fans are. And, yes, you see these large ones, the League of Legends championships. It's massive. I mean, they're packing stadiums and everything. But the best ones are the ones that are in, like, convention centers. And, yeah, you get, like, you know, 10,000 fans in there, 5,000, 8,000 fans in there. But they're, I mean, fully engaged, fully rooting on every play, on every every kill. And it, it's it's amazing. And it's they're very tribal. I mean, what people don't realize, that esports is super tribal. Every game has their own kind of language, has their own kind of dress, has their own, you know, ways they, they celebrate, the way they talk to each other. If you ever go to a Gears of War event, it's the most M-rated language bashing thing <laughs> you've ever heard in life. And they embrace it. They love it. I mean, it's just, that's who they are. And then you go to uh, Call of Duty, which, again, is very um, – it's one step down from that, but still very um, more aggressive style, cheering, very – uh, European football-esque rugby style like fandom um, and then you have League of Legends which is more diverse and then Overwatch which is more I call it more like the NFL style which is more family friendly, more open to everybody you see families in cosplay and going after it I mean every game has their own fan base and their own rituals to it and all of them are just amazing even the fighting game scene a scene that I love dearly that doesn't get a lot of respect um, in the pro scene right now, but it will. But super fanatical, super uh, into it, and I love them for it. I mean, I love getting to the bottom. So it sounds like if you want to have a rowdy time, go to a Gears of War uh, <laughs> event and, and you'll mix have it a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll definitely take a swear jar and you'll fill it up by the end of the day. I promise you. <laughs> Okay, awesome. Brian, this has been great and really informative um, and definitely different than what we normally cover, but in a good way. Like, this world is is booming. It's growing, especially at this time, given everyone is kind of uh, siloed off in their apartment or house, wherever they may be. Um, so it's it's not going away anytime soon. So really helpful to, to learn all this stuff. Where... 
Where can our listeners find you, Brian? Maybe on Twitter or um, on these different uh, gaming platforms, wherever wherever you want to uh, shout out. Yeah, like like your traditional uh, gamer. I, I do have a Twitter, but it's my gamer tag. So it's uh, Kotomora, K-O-T-O-M-O-R-A, uh, underscore H-S. That's my Twitter handle. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, just Brian Yale. Um, that's where I do a lot of my stuff is either on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And, yeah, that's where you find me from the business side. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. This has been great. Awesome. Appreciate you having me on. This has been an awesome conversation and definitely look forward to the future. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.